Welcome listeners. I'm Larry Woodard and this is Admire, where each week it's my privilege to have a conversation with an outstanding guest from business, sports, entertainment, education. Today it's my privilege to be with someone who I'd describe as an athlete, advocate, entrepreneur, followed by a whole bunch of superlatives. Dr. Jen Walter, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Always uh, a pleasure to join in with other uh, ballers such as yourself. Jen, your bio is a litany of first. First woman to play running back in a men's professional football league. First female coach in men's professional football and first woman to coach in the NFL. This preceded by a 14-year career in women's professional football, winning a fistful of national championships, two gold medals as a member of Team USA at the International Federation of American Football's Women's World Championship. I'd like to start back before the notoriety and before the bright lights. Let's travel back to the little girl, Jen, born into a world where only one in 27 girls played organized sports when Title IX was still wet behind the ears. When did your love of sports begin? You know, I was an active kid all my life. Um, my mom tells a joke of, you know, she had to go into the hospital at one point when I was really young and she was afraid I would never recover because my sister was, um, you know, someone who liked to be breastfed. And she said, once I found a bottle, I never looked back. That was it. I could eat and run and I was done. Um, and, and that's kind of always been how I was. Um, my family was very active. Um, and apparently my dog is sneezing something crazy. Um, that is not me. Um, that is the dog. He is, he takes after his mom, little Tyson. Um, he is a chihuahua who knows no better. Um, always believes he's big, kind of like me. Um, but yeah, as, as a kid, it was a part of our life. Um, my parents were active. They, you know, led by example. We went fishing very young and, um, I think my dad would tell you he realized what an athlete he was dealing with when um, the school had a fun run and my sister and him had trained to run it. Now I'm about two and a half years younger than my older sister, which I think is good because I never imagined that I couldn't do what she did. Mm -hmm. So I think that pushes you as a younger child. And they had trained for this fun run. And I was like, the day before I was like, well, I want to do it. And my dad said, well, Jenny, you can run, but you know, your sister and I have been training, so it wouldn't be fair. You might slow us down. And I said, well, that's okay. I'll just run with my friends. Mm -hmm. My dad and my sister finished the race and, you know, my dad stood at the finish line and he was looking for me and he was looking and he was looking and it got awkward because he kept looking. And then he realized I had been done long before him and my sister and I was already like doing other things. And he said, that's what I knew. Uh. And so, you know, just being physical and competing uh, drove me. What got me to shift into team sports, and I think this is important for anybody who might have been told that they couldn't do something. Um, you mentioned a lot of big things that I've done uh, that comes in a very small package. I am only uh, five foot two maybe with my football gear on about a 130 something pounds. And so um, I was never the person that somebody looked at and said they'd be the best, you know, one of the best football players in the world one day. In fact, when I was a tiny scrawny little yet to hit my top height of five foot two tennis player, I had a coach told me because of my size and my build, I'd never be strong enough to play pro tennis. Um, and it didn't, 
you know, it didn't kill my dream that day, but what it did is kind of change this girl who was out on the court every day for hours finding other things to do. And I eventually stopped playing altogether, but I did start, you know, lifting weights because I said I'd never not be strong enough again. And when I finally found team sport, I found a place where I didn't have to have all of the answers in and of myself. I didn't have to be everything on an island. I could be a, a big part of making everybody around me better. And that's really when everything changed for me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, on a team, what makes you different is makes you special. And um, I found that that was the place that I was really special. I can't help but thinking that there's a big piece of the story missing. What was that cathartic moment where you started to to realize that you could you could do something extraordinary in sport? Um, you know, maybe I'm still looking for that. Um, I, I think for me in in football, particularly when I made my first team, I just promised myself a very little what turned out to be a very big thing, and that was that I would step up to every challenge that the game put in my way. Mm. It wasn't like I had this grand master plan of making it to the NFL one day because that wasn't possible. But what I did know is that I was going to follow this as far as it went. I always believed I had a big destiny in sports, but um, I, I kept having a lot of things happen that, you know, made it go wrong or end prematurely. And I just, did what I think is hard at very, you know, at every point um, that gets challenging to do is just to get back up, you know, and that, that mentality, I, I can't take credit for other than, you know, being a young girl who listened to her dad's army stories. Um, And they were very matter of fact, they were very black and white. This is what she did, right? Like my dad used to always say, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough, mm-hmm. right? Like you got yourself into it. You better get yourself out of it. And I, I mean, I just never thought of things any other way. Um, and so I, I am thankful for that mentality, um, you know, for, for being taught, you know, when we would go fishing, like, you know, I caught my first blue Marlin, I think at age 14. And I was like, well, you better catch it. Fish uh, doesn't care if you're a boy or a girl, you either catch it or you don't. And you know, it's just kind of those those moments that I then would take and try and look and pull out a deeper meaning on how I was gonna gonna be in life. You know, I, I like your, your the philosophy that you're explaining to me because it actually helps um, in the physical sports, but also helps uh, mentally. Uh, I know there have been some strong headwinds, and I'm sure a disappointment or two. Can you talk about an early obstacle and how you overcame it? Oh, gosh. Um, You know, I think that obstacles are absolutely defining moments. Um, You know, they are, they're probably the most interesting ones, too. Uh, Most most people focus on kind of your highlight reel, right? Like where you are, what they see. And um, I always joke, I'm like, yeah, but the lowlights are so much more interesting. I think being in football specifically, the maybe the 
the toughest one is that it's still a story yet to be written. Um, you know, people talk still about the movie Major League, and, and that is women in football to this day. You know, any of us who played know that we were the ones um, pulling our cars next to the field so we would be able to practice a little longer and have some lights. We were, you know, we were walking the field for, for glass um, and, you know, bigger rocks um, to have a place to play. And, you know, we were even at times when I thought maybe, you know, maybe things had changed, right? Like you're going to play for the first U.S. national team, which was in 2010. Um, that one to me was, was a really big moment, right? And, and I think the longer I played, the more the meaning, um, the bigger meaning was because we were playing American football, right? It's America's game. And it's, but, you know, People say it's a religion, right? It took over Sundays and all of these things. And I'd been playing at that time. I'd won, you know, all of my four Super Bowls. And um, I I had put in to be a men- member of the U.S. national team. And the day I got the call, it was, congratulations, Jen Welter. You're one of the best 45 women in the country. And we would argue the world. And we're going to get to see that as a part of Team USA. And now here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to take a month off work and pay us $3,000. And women in football didn't have that. We were work by day, play football by night. For me, go to school by very late night. Mm -hmm. And we're having to pay to play to represent the USA in our game. And I think that those are the things that most people don't understand. Like every day was an obstacle. Every day was, you know, wearing a Super Bowl ring and having somebody, you know, say my boyfriend was so nice. He let me wear his ring, Mm. you know, and uh, the attitude at that point that I had finally taken was, you know, I would, I would wear it not on my ring finger, but you know, on my middle finger and, and make sure that they knew, no, it was actually mine. Right. And, oh, would you like to see it up closer? Yes. Yes. That name, that's mine. And, and then the next question was often, oh, I didn't know the cheerleaders got rings. Wow. You know, the, the, the difference between, you know, perception and reality was, was a challenge every day. And so, um, you know, I, I look back at it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you, you know, it's still that way for women. Um, and, and I think that's the challenge that drives me to this day, right? Football is still the, the only sport where there is not parity at any level from peewees to the pros. Yeah, thank you for, for that perspective. You know, it reminds me of uh, reading about the 1968 Olympics and um, a few African-American members of the, uh, the winning gold medal winning track team were talking about the training table. And they were saying how, you know, all these teams were talking about eating steak and eating pasta for complex carbohydrates or whatever they were eating. And what they could afford were peanut butter crackers. And they said that mm-hmm. they won the gold medal on peanut butter crackers. And, and that's never been lost on me. Um, so eventually you find yourself in this uncharted territory. You're in deep water and you're pushing to do something that's never been done before. Who were some of your early allies and how did they help you achieve your dream? Well, you know, one of the one of the really cool things about 
how you just tied that together about the Olympics was, um, you know, it, it's so powerful when, when people have been through a struggle, um, particularly being a minority struggle. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the allies that I had, um, you know, from a football perspective, were guys who were minorities in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the African-American players would, you know, especially when I got to the NFL, we would talk about it a lot. They'd be like, man, Coach, we thought it was hard for us to get here. You know, but you, you're the, the one of one. Mm-hmm. And those guys would point it out all the time. They're like, I, you know, I never, I never knew that this day would come. And it's, it's so exciting to be, um, a part of history and the guys were really open to it. And I think that that spirit of overcoming, um, is something that, that really does, um, help other plights, um, and understanding what it, what it means to be, um, a minority, you know, um, some, some people in society might not look at, uh, you know, a woman or even, um, a, you know, Caucasian woman being a minority. And yet in that field, I was, I was the minority. Um, and there's this transcendence of people who have overcome that, that really is, is unifying. And to me, it gave me a whole lot of, um, big brothers, uh, along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would lovingly say I was kind of their kid sister and, and they would guide me. Um, in terms of allies in moving into the men's world. And I think that, that's where it really became different. Um, you know, I had uh, Coach Dub, Coach Williams, who was the head coach of the Texas Revolution when I was there, and actually Tim Brown, who was the owner of the Revolution. Um, and Tim, Tim was there both when I played and then when I coached, and you know has still been a, a supporter of mine since then. Right? He kind of always thought of it as a, as a point of pride that I got, um, you know, kind of pulled up from the, uh, feeder system to the pros. Um, Wendell Davis, who was the original head coach of the Texas revolution, former Dallas Cowboy, who, um, I impressed. Um, and he was like, you have to coach my football team. And I, I remember I was like, no, girls don't coach football. And he was like, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity. You're taking this job. And in fact, he took it for me and told me about it later. Um, and I thank him for, you know, as I say, kind of seeing something in me before I even saw it in myself. Um, and Wendell's, Wendell's vision and stubbornness um, worked for me in that case. It, it worked against him. He ended up not finishing out this season. Um and Devin Wyman, who was the original defensive coordinator, took over as head coach. Um, and when he did, they kind of cleaned house. And I was, I was the only, only coach he kept um, from the original group. And you know, we were kind of the the odd couple of coaching, I would have to say, because you know he's six foot seven um, and a D lineman, six seven, not a basketball six seven. Um, and then there was little me and we, we brought the team to the, to the championship. Um, obviously there was Bruce Arians who, you know, I, I think is, is an uh, iconic champion, um, 
in the movement for women in football because he was the first person to bring a female on his staff as a coach in any capacity. And, you know, a lot of people look at that and they say, well, of course he should have done that. That's just the right thing. And I, I kind of push back at him and I'm like, no, no, the second and the third person to do it are, of course you do it. It's the right thing. But you say that now because it went well, because the feedback was good, because, because thankfully I, I didn't mess it up for the next girl. But if something would have gone wrong, his, he put his entire football legacy, you know, on the line for me because it would have been like, oh, Bruce Arians, he did all these great things. But do you remember the time he lost his mind and hired that girl? Um, and so I, I really think that he opened that door as did, you know, the Pidwells and Steve Kime and, and really everybody in, in Arizona because um, one of the things that Bruce did and I think why it went so well and I have so much respect for him doing is that he actually um, asked the leaders in his locker room before doing it mm-hmm. um, and got their fed feedback and got their buy-in. You know, I don't specifically know what guys he spoke to, but um, I have my suspicions that it was, you know, your Larry Fitzgerald, your Patrick Peterson right. and, and, and some of them um, and they were all behind it. And then, you know, I've had um, coaches of mine, like for the U S national team, like, Anthony Stone and, and John Konecki, who first had me on the U.S. national team, but then also um, when there was an opportunity to be the head coach of the Australian women's national team, those two men who had coached me um, went with me to help me spread the game internationally. So, you know, I think I've been extremely, um, extremely blessed in people that, you know, there's probably ones that I'm forgetting, but who really have just, you know, kind of said, you know, what? there's, there's something about her and we're all right with it. And, you know, Hey, you need to talk to this guy. And Oh, Brad children, same thing. Like Daryl Drake. Um, I think that was one of the coolest lessons of the Cardinals, Daryl Drake, who unfortunately we lost earlier this year. You know, I was, I was feeling a little lost in, in some of the pregame time before um, my first game, and he said, Coach, do you know what we all do in this time? And I said, no. And he said, we go and meet the coaches on the other staff. Because in this business, it's all in, in who you know, and none of these jobs last long. So you need to meet these guys over on the Kansas City staff. And he's like, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take you to introduce you to somebody that you need to know. I'm going to introduce you to Chile because Chile could hire you one day. So Daryl Drake took me over and introduced me to Brad Childress. And um, just last year, Brad Childress hired me um, when I was with the uh, Atlanta Legends in the Alliance League. So, you know, just lessons like that, that, you know, are are cultural lessons. They're not resume lessons. Um, This is so important. Absolutely. Uh, And thank you for sharing those names. Um, uh, to add another ingredient to the conversation, uh, I sit on the board of the V Foundation for Cancer Research. So we got Coach K, Dick Vitale, a number of athletes who've won the, the top championships in their leagues, and some industry leaders like the chairman of Under Armour, uh, you know, president of Adidas. Uh, sometimes the testosterone in the level is so high in the room that my beard starts to grow spontaneously. <laughs> uh, what 
is the professional environment, I can only imagine, like among coaches in the strategy room? And what unique strengths do you bring to be able to, to deal with it? Well, first of all, I think you need to get me in that room because that is one of the challenges. And, and you know, that's when, when you talk about um, how do you get minority representation? You have to be involved in those conversations and and um, being able to shake those hands. Well, not, not that we can right now, but yeah. um, to have people recognize talent. Um, and yes, you know, those rooms can be a little intimidating. I say that one of the best things I bring to them is is humor. Um, because when you, when you are the odd woman out or you are the different person, there are going to be moments that like something comes out wrong. And, and, you know, I, I laugh often. Um, and I think one of the things that the guys appreciate about me is that I kind of put some of those things in a, in perspective in a way that's like, you know, I'm kind of letting them know that like, you do realize you said that out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a phrase I use often. Um, that's a go-to for any of you that are in those awkward situations, right. you know, cause we've all had that moment where something came out of our mouth and we immediately wish we could take it back. Um, and yet the words are already gone. And that simple sentence kind of lets them know, like, I heard you, but I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to let you uh, kind of come away right, cleanly. Right. And, and, and that breaks me, honestly, it, it bridged so many good relationships. Cause I'd have like guys that'd be like, coach, it's not what I meant. I'd be like, I know, but you know, I'm just, I'm coaching you up on life right now. Right. Like I'm just going to let you know that that collection of words should never come together ever again. Um, outside this circle of trust. 